We are in Mark chapter 14, verse 20 through, 22 through 26. Uh, it's Jesus instituting the Last Supper. I'll just read the verses here very quickly. Um, uh, in chapter 14, I'm in the NIV. Uh, say I'm looking at, uh, say verse 16. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. Now that's important, they prepared the Passover. Because there is some question, is this the Passover meal, or is this the night before the Passover meal? Uh, when evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table and eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were, all, they were saddened, and one by one they said to him, surely not I. And that is, like we said last week, it's like, well, it's not me, I mean, right? Uh, they're looking for agreement. Uh, he, he said, it is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if, it were, if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, this is our new verses, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take it, this is my body. Now, if you think about you know, taking communion and you think of all the verses you, you read through, remember you've got Mark and you've got Matthew and you've got Luke and you've got John and then there's a whole prayer in John and then you've got Paul referring to it a couple times, especially in 1 Corinthians 7. So as a, as when you do communion, you refer to, or, or if you're doing an overview, you refer to all those verses. And we'll, we'll refer to some of them. But notice how, how much is not said here in Mark. Not that there's a mistake, but just what Mark is focused on or what Peter was talking and what Mark recorded. Uh, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them and they all drank from it this is my blood of the covenant now you all probably have a little footnote there uh because it says new because in luke and first corinthians it's called the new covenant but in matthew and mark it's it's just it's the words new is not in there it's it's covenant and we'll talk about that there's no no mistake it's just interesting this is, my, is, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. And then, of course, that many, we're going to talk about Calvinism. It's like, you know, it's like many doesn't mean everybody or doesn't mean everybody. And where is this going to go, which will be totally interesting, uh, which is poured out for uh, many. He said to them, I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And he's saying two things there. One, he's saying, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again, meaning this is it. What do you mean you're never going to drink of what? Well, when you die, you don't drink it, meaning it's like this is my last meal. He's, in a sense, he's saying this is my last meal. But then he's, I mean, it's, it's a warning of death. But then he also says, until I drink it again in the kingdom, which means, oh, you're going to drink again, you're going to be alive somewhere else. Okay, maybe alive in heaven, but then he makes it very specific, the fruit of the vine, and if you're going to go to spiritually go to heaven and drink spiritual wine in some you know, place in the spiritual dimension, that's one thing, uh, but he makes it sound like 
this wine, the fruit of the vine that we're drinking here, I won't drink this again until I drink the wine, the fruit of the vine again in the kingdom, which means I'm coming back and the kingdom's going to be right here and we're going to be drinking physical wine in the kingdom, which again is speaking of resurrection. It all makes sense to us, but it's, just, it's kind of a loaded verse. You just kind of read through it. I'm not going to drink again until I drink in the kingdom. And you think, well, what does that mean? Well, that's pretty specific. I'm going to die. I'm not going to drink this again but I will drink it again when I drink into the kingdom. Well, where's the kingdom? Well, we're going to be back here drinking this stuff that we're drinking tonight, but it'll be in the kingdom. Uh, again, you wouldn't have to agree with that if your eschatology is different, but that seems to be pretty clear reading. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And uh, then we go on, we'll pick that up next week. And when Jesus starts talking about Peter's denial. Now, the first thing in the notes we've got right here is just a, a, a brief review. I got your uh, table drawn right there again as last week. Everybody seated there. Notice right there, there's a vacant spot beside Jesus because Judas has left. It appears uh, uh, you, you, there's timing of this. There's going to be, uh, if this is a Passover meal, there's going to be four times that they're going to be breaking bread. And there's going to be three cups of wine. And it seems to be pretty clear if you follow the modern sequence. You're not exactly sure how they did it in the first century. But there's, there's bread that's going to be passed, different blessings are going to be said, and then there's going to be three cups of wine for different events, different points. And it appears that the last cup is the last cup, the cup that Jesus uses for the, the covenant that he's making there. <coughs> it would also appear that they've started the meal. There's a place that this could be like the opening of the meal, or the meal may have already started, and then during the meal, Judas leaves. So that the meal has started, and Judas has partaken of the meal beginning, but before they begin this, this what we call the Last Supper, the, the breaking of the bread and bre- uh, drinking of the cup, uh, Judas is gone. So keep that in mind, how this is going. Uh, that's the first thing. Uh, you know, it's Nissan. It's, it's Thursday evening. Nissan 14 has ended. It is now Nissan 15. It, the, day, the day switched, you know, when the sun went down. So it would be called the same day, but it's a different date. And the Passover meal must be done before midnight. Uh, Judas has left the meal uh, to go to the priest. The disciples are eating the Passover meal. And that comes to my next point very quickly. Uh, there is question sometimes when you read different things or you hear different people talk and, and you know listen to them nothing wrong with you know considering these things and I have too uh, that this may not be the Passover meal the Passover meal may be the next day because if you want Jesus the sacrificial lamb on the cross while the lambs are being slain you've got Jesus dying while the lambs are being slain if that's the case then you're going to have to be eating after, the, after his body's in the tomb and the sun's gone down, now you eat the Passover meal, which we would say is Friday night. Uh, and so it's like, so that would mean they're not eating the Passover meal on Thursday night. And so it could be a, a, you know, a preparation meal. You know, the Passover is clearly on their mind because that's what they're all in town for. But it's not the Passover meal. So it's like, ah, that makes sense. Maybe you got some room to do some different timing with it. The problem with that is these verses in Matthew, verse 14. So I'm going to disagree with what I just said. There's some of you going, hmm, oh, yeah, that makes sense. It's like now I'm going to say, no, no, that's stupid. No, no, that's wrong. <laughs> it's like, so don't, don't, don't like nod your head too quick. Uh, but in Mark 14, verse 12 and verse 14, I've got those written right there. It says, 
on the verse 12, on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb. So the day the disciples go out to secure the room is the day they're sacrificing the Passover lamb. So they can't be sacrificing the Passover lamb when Jesus is on the cross the next day because they're doing it the day that they're getting ready for this meal, which means it, that that would be wrong. The next thing, point tw- or uh, verse 12, uh, the, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? So when they leave to go to town, there's two disciples go out. Uh, if it's just a normal day, they don't need to do all this preparation necessarily. But these two disciples go off to prepare a meal. Maybe they have to prepare a meal, but they call it, when they talk to Jesus, the Passover meal. And then Jesus tells his disciples, you're going to go to the house, follow the man with the jar of water, and when you get to the house, you ask him where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. So three times in verse 12 and 14, it's clearly the day they're sacrificing the lamb and the night that they're having the Passover meal. Now, that's where I'm going to come down at. You can, again, go back to that discussion and say, well, it looks like it would work better, but that means Jesus is dying on a Friday and the Passover lambs were sacrificed on a Thursday, so they're not having, happening simultaneously. And again, if you want to back up and relook at that, again, there's, that's the information I've, I'm presenting here tonight. Again, it's not a you know, big deal if it is. We need to change it and make corrections. Okay. Mark chapter 14, verse 22. And as they were eating, he took the bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take this, take, this is my body. Um, Now, there's going to be four times they're going to break bread. This would appear to be, I want to say this is the first, the the bread that begins the, the, the meal. And I've got that written down. Now, if you notice right here, I've got the verse written, and then I've got the, the, the Greek box, and then my notes start in between there. Point one is in between the verse and there. So if you look down here, the sentence isn't complete. The sentence starts up here. I got in the box in the wrong place. But here's the point there. Every meal that they would eat, especially like this meal, the head of the family or the head of the, the feast, Jesus, would begin the meal by taking bread and breaking it and then passing it around. And the prayer that they would say is this. This is the first, this is to start, you know, we pray before meals. They would pray before meals, but it'd be like this. Praise be to you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who causes bread to come forth from the earth. They would break the bread, the, the, the head of the family, the, the host of the feast would break the bread and then pass around and everyone would break a piece off and eat it partaking of that blessing like we're all in this together that's why part of the reason why it was such a a terrible thing to betray someone that you've taken this you're it's like a fellowship we're breaking this we're not just having a a coffee and talking about business we're actually breaking bread and in a sense joining into a covenant setting we're blessing the bread bless god yes and we're going to all join in this blessing we all eat the same bread that would be how the the passover feast would begin so Either Jesus is taking that that first bread, breaking it, and not following that process and instead talking about his body, or they've already done that, they've started the meal, they've broken the bread, they've said the prayer, they've all said amen, they've all partaken of it, they're going around, they're dipping, they're talking. Uh, You know, Jesus has to dip the bread and hand it to Judas. Remember, who, who, who is it? And then after Judas is left, there's another breaking of the bread. There's four different times they break bread and say something during a Passover meal. But at one of those... Jesus is going to break the bread 
and institute something brand. It's like, well, well that's, we've never done that at my home when we do Passover. It's like that. He's doing something brand new. So I think he's going to have already started the feast, said the, the prayer. They're dipping bread. They're having conversation. They're following the sequence. And then Judas leaves, and now comes another breaking of bread. But this time Jesus says this, and as, because it says right here, and as they were eating. So the meal's already begun. Judas is already dipping bread with Jesus. Uh, he's, Jesus has already said the opening prayer, you know, thanking God for giving him bread from the earth. Uh, now he takes bread, a, you know, a different part of bread. And this bread would be unleavened bread. Uh, again, however you take, I mean, you can do it with crackers. We've done it with, you know, is all every different church has, you know, some, I've been in church where they have big, you know, fresh loaves of bread. I remember one church, the ladies would always bake bread and we bring in fresh bread and pass around loaves. It was kind of cool. You've been in the place where they have little plastic bags where you unzip it and have a little cracker, possibly maybe a little, you ever had the communion packet where you've got little wine, little glass of grape juice that you peel the little lid off. It's like a little, uh, you know, snack pack or something. And I told you the story about the church we went one time. When we were one time, when, when we had all six boys, we were looking for churches. It was in Marshalltown. And we went to a, a church. We went to several of them. But we're talking about where we would go to church. Have I told you this before? I know I have. And, and Okay, it's, it's always funny, but if you heard it like five times, it's like it's not funny anymore. Um, but the kids were little. Just was probably, you know, fourth grade, and then they're all the way down to, you know, I don't know, little. Um, and we were talking about where we were going. And the, one of the kids said, we, can we go to that place where they had snacks? And it's like, snacks? It's like, no, so we're going through, rifling through the church. You know, it's like, no, no, we never had, you know, there's no coffee in the foyer, the donuts. It's like, we're, no. It's a, they said, well, yeah, right after they, they, uh, they, they took the offering, we had to pay for the snacks. Oh, no, we had snacks, and then they, 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 we had to pay for them. <laughs> and it's like, what? And it's like, how? Then you go back to the child's mind. How? What? How? Oh, pay for it. Offering. Sure, there was a church, and it was one of those. One of those. It wasn't necessarily a, a, a ritual church, but it was an, an auto. It was a, a church, but it's like just autumn. Like everybody knew what to do. They're just like, and, and it, no one was really leading. There was, but it's just like. No one needed to lead it because everybody just knew what to do. And they sang a song, and all of a sudden, the ushers stand up, and they come down, and they hand this, these trays out, and they're the communion trays. And as, you go, as it goes by, you've got, like, a little, little cup. You know, of course, they pass it by. And as it passes by, it's like, usually you wait, and then the pastor's going to come up, and maybe there's music, or, you know, some of the lights go down, all kinds of things. But nothing changed. You know, they're just putting their instruments away. Here comes the cup. It's like, so it's like, and here comes the trash pack, you know, throw the trash away. And then here comes another one with the little bread, you know, cracker. We ate that. And then it's like, oh, here comes the third tray. It's like, oh, the offering. It's like, <laughs> and so the, the boys, I mean, they, they missed the whole thing. It's like, it's snacks and dad's got to pay for it. It's like, it's a, so there's, you know, that was going to be a sloppy way of doing communion. But uh, anyway, that was an interesting time. Anyway, uh, the point there is there's different ways of doing the, the crackers or the loaves of bread. This would have been unleavened bread, so it's going to be more like a biscuit, a thin biscuit. The bread hasn't raised, and you'd break it. You know, you'd break it, not like tear a piece of bread off necessarily, but you'd snap it more like a biscuit. Again, and if you're more familiar with Passover meals, you'd understand that uh, better than I do. 
Uh, anyway, when Jesus pronounces this blessing, he takes it and he takes the bread. He says, this is my body. Or he mentions something about his body and passes it around. And as they pass it around, he's saying, this is my body. So what they're doing, uh, as, as far as Mark's recording, it, they're, they're take, just like they partook of the blessing. They break the bread and they bless the Lord. Now Jesus says, this is my body and pass it around. And they're all supposed to eat or partake of his body which one, we see it as, as it's going to be the sacrifice, his body is broken, sacrificed, a, a physical body, the incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us, but also the fact that they take it and they eat it. One of the things that is heavy in Mark, or the emphasis could be in Mark, is his presence. It's like, he's going to be, this is the last, he's going to say, this, I'll not drink wine again, I'm, this is my last meal. But they've already taken, it says, the bread, he, I'm leaving, but I'm still going to be here. here not, I'm not going to physically be here, so here's this. And they're going to do this in remembrance, that not just in a memory of like remembering, ah, oh, remember Jesus, but remembering he's here. And that's, when Paul starts talking about it, it's like when you start sharing, breaking the bread and, and remembering the Lord, it's like, you know, the Lord is there. I mean, God is omniscient. He's always everywhere, omnipresent. Uh, but, he is not, the Lord of the church is not like on a throne away in heaven. Well, yes, he is. But the Lord of the church, well, look in Revelation chapter 3. He's, wa- he's walking among the lampstands. And the lampstands are the churches. He's walking among the churches today, always, because this is his, his church. And so part of that idea of the bread, this is my body, is understand I'm going, but I'm still going to be here you won't be able to see my body, but remember, I'm as tangible as this bread. I'm with you. And again, it, it involves a sacrifice, but it's also talking about his presence. Ah, point three at the top of the page, and I don't have an answer for this, but if Jesus is replacing, and it is going to be called the new covenant, he's going to replace the old covenant with the new covenant, and we're going to point that out. Uh, and the, the, the Passover lamb was a, a foreshadow of Jesus, you know. Jesus is now our Passover. Paul writes that, Passover lamb. Um, what would be the obvious object on the table to use for I am, it would be the lamb. I am now the lamb of God. John calls him the lamb of God. So why does he take bread and not use the lamb as, you know, the lamb was foreshadowing christ well now the lamb's here and maybe that's why he does i mean i don't have an answer for that but it's just something that you should ask it's like the lamb that represents jesus is right there on the table for thousands of years or hundreds of years we've been talking about the lamb coming now he's here and i'll just use the bread but the lamb we've been doing this for 1400 years use the lamb it's an object lesson that's been prepared for you but apparently you know that was one thing this bread is something that he is it's it's a new covenant he's not he's not substituting himself for the lamb he's doing something completely new and i think that may be if i have an answer for that it would be that was the old covenant you had a lamb now you've got the real lamb here and we're going to just use representation here because the real lamb would be jesus the bread represents my my body the the wine represents my blood uh but it's, it's a representation because I am not the lamb on the table. Uh, I am not going to be the bread. I am going here, going to do this, my body, my blood. So the bread and wine represent that. 
and has no connection to the lamb except the lamb took care of the old covenant jesus is going to take care of the new covenant but anyway it's interesting that the lamb is not even mentioned in these verses and it's sitting right there on the table um the, the bread would be unleavened i mentioned that the modern times i, I say that there uh, bread would be broken three different times and oh and four cups of wine would be drank i, I said it backwards earlier uh, point or chapter 14 verse 23 and notice how mark does this it, it's sometime during the meal and as they were eating he took bread and after blessing it broke it and gave it to them and says take this is my body that's it i mean there's nothing more that you can go to matthew you can go to luke you can go to first corinthians you get more substance from that but all you've got in mark is he passed it this is my body pass around and then and he took the cup verse 23 and when he had given thanks he gave it to them and they all drank of it again a very very limited information i think we know would anticipate this is obviously coming after the the bread and probably at the end of the meal uh, are they back-to-back, or was there some time? I think there was, from read the other gospel accounts. But here it's just, he passed the bread, said, this is my body. Then he, and he took the cup, and, and again, there would be, like we just read, there's four different times, different cups of wine that they would pass. And when he had given thanks, you know, gave the blessing, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And so, uh, by drinking of it, they're, they're partaking. They're all coming together in a sense. Uh, well, I'm going to read this in Psalm 16. But when it says they all drank of it, they're all drinking of the same cup, meaning they're all coming together as, with a common destiny. They, they've shared a cup. We have the same fate. We have the same destiny. We are all going the same way. Uh, and that's Psalm 16, the ideal of drinking from a cup you receive the portion or destiny which is the same as the person whose cup you are sharing. So if we were to pass a cup around here, symbolically, I mean, if we only had one cup, we'd all take a drink. But if it was symbolic, I take a drink, you take, we all take a drink because we all are going to share the same. We're all going into the same business adventure. We're all going on the same, we all have the same philosophy. We're all going to live the same life. And so this is a kind of a, a unity. We're all going to drink from this cup. And that's the point. And they all drank of it. Uh, and Psalm 16 is interesting because this is probably where it comes from. And I'm going to read Psalm 16. I've got it written right there. Um, and in verse 4, it's going to talk about the cup of the false gods uh, and, and the house of sorrows. It's, I, have, I won't even mention that name. But as far as your cup, I'm going to accept my portion of your cup. So it, it, that would be a distinction. I'm not going to join this group. I'm going to join this group and drink. You've got two cups to drink from. The cup of, in a sense, you could say the world, the false gods, the false religion. And you can drink that and have your portion with them, and you're going to share their fate. Or Jesus is going to say, hey, and now here's the cup we're drinking from. And he passes the cup. And they all drink from me. We're, we're accepting our fate with you. We're going with, with you. Now, here's Psalm 16. Uh, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. So you've got the Lord they're rejoicing in. Now the saints, the holy ones, the separated ones, 
their mighty life. I want to be with you, your portion. I want to be with them, and they've got their portion with you. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Now, if I would go another way besides you and your saints, and I would join them and those that go after the other gods, their sorrow, it says, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Watch. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So you would pour out the drink offering. You know, you, maybe you'd drink part of it. You'd pour it out, whatever it is. You would, you'd pour it out, and then you'd say some kind of blessing or mention their name or whatever the gods you're worshiping. It's like, I'm not, not going to pour that out. I'm not going to, it doesn't say drink, but I'm not going to drink that. I'm not even going to say that name. I'm not, I don't want any part of that fate. The Lord is my chosen portion, going back to I want this portion and my cup. Again, it's like portion cup. Well, yeah, the cup represents I'm taking my portion from here. I'm going to drink from this cup. I'm going to take the cup of the Lord because it says you hold my lot. Once again, verse 5, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot or you hold my fate. You hold my inheritance. You hold my future. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Now over here, their sorrows multiply. But when I've drank from this cup and the Lord holds my future, now again, you're not you know, picking and choosing. You're just saying, I'll take the fate of this cup. Whatever this, it's like, ah, and this cup has, the, my portions fall in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Again, in the Lord. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. So part of my blessing is he's giving me counsel on how to navigate. In nighttime, he's advising me in the night. Uh, I have set, watch this verse right here. You're also going to go, ah, I recognize this. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon me to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. So right there he's talking about his fate. Because he's drank from this cup of the Lord, his, his, his boundaries fall in pleasant places, his inheritance is good. The Lord is at his right side. The Lord is counseling. He's guiding him. My heart is going to rejoice and be glad because my, even, even my flesh, even my physical body is going to be secure. What? You're, everybody dies right i'm going to die but he's not going to leave me there there's going to be a resurrection in fact even your holy one he won't even see corruption now you're going to die the writer of this is david and and all of us we're going to die and our flesh will decay but we still are secure because our portion is with the lord and we're going to be brought back even his holy one now he'll die but he won't see corruption. There's gonna, his resurrection is going to be so fast that his body will not decay. Uh, now, now you know, where, where do you know that verse from? You know that right here? But the Holy One will not see corruption. From Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. He says, he says uh, the scriptures talked about this. He says, he says, David's tomb is with us. And in Zechariah, we'll, uh, Zechariah, what book are we in? Nehemiah on Tuesday. We're going to eventually go by the tombs of David, 
they were there in Nehemiah's day. They were there in 30 AD. The tombs of David were still there. The Romans eventually cut them away after the fall of Jerusalem, cut away for quarry stones. Um, but uh, Peter says, David's tomb is with us here today. Meaning David, DK. David says, I will not see correct. If David's referring to himself as like, well, the Holy One, that doesn't say Jesus. David could be the Holy One, except his tomb is with us today. He, his body saw corruption. But Peter says, this was prophesied. David is talking about himself. You will not abandon me to Sheol. I'm going to die, but I still feel secure. I will be brought out of Sheol, but your Holy One, which is not David, that's going to be the Messiah. Now, Peter sees it. Again, in, in reading this up until the resurrection, you would assume that would be David. But Peter interprets it on, in 30 AD. And how did he get that information? Is it possible that Jesus explained it to him during those 40 days? I mean, the Spirit came on Peter. Maybe Peter just all of a sudden understood it. Because, but Jesus, it says on different occasions, explained through the Scriptures everything that was prophesied about him. And this may have been something Jesus... So up in here, Jesus taking a cup and saying, drink of this cup. Now we know it's the blood of the covenant, but it's also the cup of fate. You're going to join... And it says right there, and they all drank of it. Meaning everyone at that table, not Judas, he's gone, but everyone at that table drank from the cup. They're, they're joining with Jesus in his fate, in his destiny. Meaning... Whatever happens to Jesus happens thus with the emphasis being we're all going to die, but we're all going to be resurrected, just like Jesus. Uh, for you, verse 10, for you will not abandon me, my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forever. And that is the fate of those who drink from the cup of the Lord. Now, again, it doesn't look, Jesus is on his way to the crucifixion, and all these guys are going to go to some kind of, you know, persecution or martyrdom. But it, well, Jesus would refer to it here. Uh, the, in the end, there's going to be this victory. Okay. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. Verse 24. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. So, right here, he says, this is the blood of covenant, which is poured out for many. And we even write poured out if we wanted to. And all this, Jesus is not, I mean, he's talking, and we just kind of think these are, you know, we get used to them because they're New Testament verses. But Jesus is going from the Old Testament is heavy in Old Testament references here that if, we're, if we pay attention, we can draw a lot of these things out, that he's, 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 he's tying together from Deuteronomy to Jeremiah to Ezekiel. He's tying all of these together, and here we go. Uh, and he said to them, this is my blood. Now again, when he says my blood, which means this is not, this is not the blood of and Abraham, one of Abraham's sacrifices is not one of the, the blood of the Passover lamb. This is not the blood of the high priest that they do daily in the temple. Or uh, so it, This is my blood. And this blood is going to establish a covenant. And a covenant is uh, a contract. It's a deal. It's an agreement. Uh, the word at the bottom of page 2 is beret in Hebrew, meaning covenant, but it, it's, a, it's a promise, it's an agreement. And in this case, in the Old Testament, it's an agreement between 
God and man. The emphasis there being they each, in a sense, are going to enter into a covenant. Now, how dare you enter into a covenant with God? Uh, but this is God coming to man because in this, in a covenant, uh, in, a, in a contract, in a deal, in an agreement, you both owe each other something. You're both going to provide something for this relationship. God is just not sitting on the throne say, you know, shut up and worship me. I mean, he could, and in a sense he does. Every knee will bow. But in this right here, this is the Son of God in his blood making a covenant, which is he's entering into an agreement with man. And generally this idea of God is, is lordship. He's going to be in charge he's going to be responsible well look at the, about the cup all these the blessings are un, you know we just read here over in psalm 16 you know my portion is good i mean i've got a good i could go this way but the sorrows just keep multiplying but i could go this way it's like my inheritance is pleasant it's like this is the joy is never ending it's like yes so this is the lordship from his cup is going to offer this to man man is going to have to well, you know, just you know, I get it for free. Well, yeah, the blood of Christ is going to, you have the chance to enter this. But what's expected of man then is going to be obedience to this kingdom. You're going to have to, you're going to supposed to be uh, obey. Again, you can think about it any way you want to. But the ideal is if you've got a chance to live in this kingdom that the Lord has provided for you out of honor, out of glory glorifying god out of worship you're going to be very obedient to the laws of the land i'm going to follow the speed limit we're going to make sure we get our sidewalk shoveled in this community make sure my trash is on the curb i'm not going to leave my my, my trash can sit out over you know, the whole week you know i'm going to bring it back in make the neighborhood like hey we're so glad to be here what do i need to do you're going to be an obedient citizen in the kingdom it's like well there's so many things we got to do well no you're living in the kingdom participate in the kingdom and and be obedient and so this is this covenant now that's the one of the first parts about this um and that's point b on the top of page three the covenant god is lordship man is the obedient point two which you've all got a footnote in your bible and it writes at the beginning of that word covenant it doesn't it doesn't put it in the text probably but there's a footnote is the word new and it's not in the Greek. You can see right there. You can see in the Greek right here, uh, wherever it is that right in here. I should have underlined it somewhere. Uh, and he said to them, this is the blood of me of the covenant, which is being poured out for many. So it's not in the Greek. It's, it's, and no one doubts that. Everyone knows it's not there. It's not like, well, is there some manuscript? It's like, it's, it's, it's not there. That is not. But the concept of new Meaning, is this a uh, is this a, a previous covenant or is this now just happening? The whole concept, the way it's written, is obvious. This is a covenant that doesn't exist until Jesus now is beginning. So even in the context, you don't need to say new covenant. You know this is the first time this has come up. This is going to be a covenant they're entering now. And if you know the story, the blood is going to be shed on the cross. Jesus is going to suffer and die. And there's going to be a covenant form, which means it wasn't here yesterday, but it's going to be here now. It's new. But the word new is not used in Mark. Now, as we look at this, yeah, right here. Very good. It's right there in the notes. 
uh, point two, top of page three, new is not in the Greek in Mark, but it is a covenant that is just being sealed in the present with Jesus' blood. So yes, this is a new covenant. But in Luke 22, verse 20, Luke writes at this point, and it is in the Greek, and likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So Luke uses the word new right here okay interestingly it's not in matthew like that you see new covenant being referred to at this time in first corinthians and we could go back and study first corinthians 11 because peter paul is talking to the corinthians and kind of chewing them out for being sloppy in their this obedient phase of the kingdom they're kind of like living like like they drank from the cup of the world and their sorrows gonna keep mold they're drinking act like they're drinking from this cup, but actually you're going to church and drinking from this cup. It's like you're drinking from the Lord's cup, but you're obeying these rules. And then he says, that's what he says. I mean, he says, that's why many of you have, are sick and many of you have died. I mean, you've, you're going over here where the sorrows are multiplying, but you keep coming back and drinking from this cup. It's like you can't drink from both cups. God's going to let you suffer. Uh, again, Now, again, punishment is different than going through god's will or facing some kind of persecution just because someone's suffering doesn't mean they're disobedient but you can see how that would work okay interestingly paul writes chapter 11 verse 25 of first corinthians in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this and i love this line do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, that's one of the big things I always emphasize when I would do communion for churches uh, is in re- we're doing it in remember, remembering this point of doctrine. But nonetheless, that's not what we're talking about tonight. But notice, Paul also used the word new. Now, what is interesting, and again, I, I don't, I don't want to, I'm going to speculate, and it, it, I should put this in parentheses and mute it on the audio. But it's interesting, Paul says it, and Luke records it in his gospel. And if you remember, Luke met Paul when he came through Troas and joined the party, became a believer and joined the party and traveled with Paul, recorded all of Paul's work in the book of Acts, and then he writes Luke, and he uses New Covenant, and you wonder if this concept of New Covenant was added to this conversation. Did Jesus say this is the blood of the New Covenant? I'm going to say yes, because Paul and Luke both say that, but Matthew, who was there, and Mark, who's recording Peter, who was there, don't say new covenant. Now, we're not talking about an heir, but it's interesting that Paul, who was a huge influence on Luke, both of those people put the word new in here. Are they, are they recording the actual words? I'm, I want to say yes, of course, but as a textual critic, it's like, or are they clarifying that this is a, the new covenant. And that is going to go back to Jeremiah. And we're going to look at this, Jeremiah 31, go back to Deuteronomy, go back to Ezekiel. And if you remember, we went through Hebrews, verse by verse. Hebrews 7, it's going to talk about there's, there's better promises, there's a new covenant, there's a new priesthood, there's, new, there, there's like seven or eight new things that we've set aside the old. Don't go back to the old. There's something new here. And so there's no doubt that this is a, the new covenant. But again, you've got support coming out of the Old Testament. You've got support in, uh, in, 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 the, in the epistles, 1 Corinthians and Hebrews. So that's just a, an interesting point. Now, looking at new covenant, going down to point three. 
the concept of this is in the old covenant there's okay there's the abrahamic covenant that god chose the people of israel are to be his people that would be an unconditional covenant we've talked about unconditional and conditional covenants and abraham you are going to be a blessing and it's he god has chosen abraham Abraham, if Abraham and his people are disobedient, they're going to be disciplined, but they're always going to come back because you're going to do what I have planned for you. I may have to train you. I may have to discipline you, but I'm not going to give up on you until I've accomplished this. Now, when he's doing that, he's working with what is called a hard heart. I'm going to draw a heart here as if that's going to make a difference. A hard heart, a calloused heart, a heart that, that can't respond to God because they, they're in the, it's Adam's nature. They're sinful. So even if they want to, even Paul writes, what I, I don't want to do, that's what I keep on doing because we've got a sin nature. And that's going to always be a problem, but he's going to end up making a promise of a new covenant. Now that's coming because God is going to fix this, I promise, he says. What do we need to do? I'm going to do that. I'm going to fix that. Then comes, I need a nation, though. He's going to need a nation. He's going to need rules, guidelines, families, court systems, some kind of judicial system, a a religious system that keeps the truth being flowed through. And so he's going to have the Mosaic, the Mosaic covenant. And this is a conditional covenant. This is called, this is what we know as the Old Covenant. The Old, the Mosaic covenant. And it's very clear. If you will do these things... I will do this. You will be great in the land. You'll have rain. Your crops will be good. You'll be strong. People will fear you. They will not invade you. And if they do, 10 of you will drive away 1,000 of them. It's like you'll need, you'll need like 10 people to defend your land against an entire nation. Invade. It's like, I've got you. Because you are following this covenant. But he says, and they go, okay, we will. We'll do it. Not understanding You've got a hard heart. You can, I'm going to follow God. You want to follow God, but you're going to have to go through this hard heart. Ah, but I'm, I'm serious. No one else is as serious as me. I'm going to do it. So they sign the contract. They make, they make the contract in blood. The covenant's poured out in blood. It's a blood covenant. And God says, I wish it were true, but good luck. Now, before you get too far away, when you disobey, I'm going to punish you. I'm going to send you to lands far away because you're idiots. You're losers. You've got a hard heart. No, 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 not us. Okay, okay, sure. But anyway, when you do, I'm going to send you far away, but I'll always come back and get you because of the Abrahamic covenant. Or if they're Abraham. Because you're Abraham, I'm going to bring you back. But every time, like they, now here, watch, in, in Nehemiah, Ezra were in that on Tuesday nights, they come back from the Babylonian captivity. Now we're going to do it right. Joshua, the high priest, gets new garments. They build the new temple, you know, they're going to do this right. Nehemiah's coming in, he's building the walls. Ezra, he's laying down the law. We're not going to screw up this time. They're, they're going to get very stringent. They're going to have rules. They're going to go, through, go on through Nehemiah. There's going to be all kinds of conflicts. They're going to make boundaries and rules. No one's going to fail God this time. So you figured it out, right? Because Babylonian captivity taught you. Yes, it did. So we're not going to screw up this time. And yes, you are. Because you can't get away from this. What you need is a new heart. You need an entirely new covenant. You need a covenant that doesn't depend on you at all. You need like, 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 like I'm looking for Abraham's covenant again. Abraham chose these people 
but these people will always fail. He's got to, in a sense, recreate these people. He's got to give them a new heart. And so we begin looking at, well, right here, very quickly. For the sake of time, I've just thrown some things here together. Uh, Point three on page three, a new covenant was foretold in the Old Testament, or the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant that's talking about this heart, many times it would say, it's not going to work, but I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new covenant. I'm going to change. It's not going to be like the old covenant where I give you a bunch of rules and laws and punishments, and I say, do this, do this. And you say, yes, we will, yes, we will, but you can't. We're going to get rid of that old covenant. I'm going to give you a new covenant where I'm going to change you. I'm going to put my spirit in you. So when I say, do this, the spirit within you, which is mine, is going to say, Yes, I will, because it's my, me talking to my spirit who's now empowering your spirit, and you've been born again. I've given you a new nature. This is going to be great. It's like, it's going to work. Well, how are we going to do that? We're about to embark, in, in, embark, is that the word, on that. Okay, Deuteronomy 29, verse 4. But to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. Not like they're going to have. Now, they, they heard Moses, they heard the law, they were believers, but they didn't understand or see like they can. So in Deuteronomy, it says, that's, Deuteronomy is the end of Moses' life. So Moses is ending to his wilderness generation. They're about ready to go into the land, the, the second generation. He says, okay, nice job. You guys pulled this together, but understand, you have not yet seen or understood what God is going to do. You, you can't. You you're still here. You can't see this. Deuteronomy 30. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. In other words, you still have, you can practice the rite of circumcision, but your heart is still covered. You still have a, you can't respond. But God is going to circumcise your heart so that your offspring, sometime in the future, will actually be able to respond to the divine love. You'll be able to respond with the equal type of love back, if you want to say equal, a a like type of love. So that's that's Moses at the end. Moses is in no way saying, the Mosaic covenant that we've made is forever. He's like saying, okay, this is going to get us across the land. Make sure you'll be, otherwise you're going to get kicked out of the land but it's not going to work. In fact, right in there, when you're gonna, I'm going to put you in captivity, but I'm going to bring you back, and then we're going to get a new covenant and fix this mess. So it, Moses knew it wasn't going to work. It's like your car breaking down, and someone pulling over to the side and say, okay, I'm going to put this wire here, and we're going to tie this over here and get some duct tape, and uh, this will get you to town, but I have not fixed it. Just get to town and get a new car. And that's what Moses said. Okay, I've got some bailing wire around this, some duct tape. Here's the covenant, but... This thing's broken. This is not going to go very far. Just be obedient because as soon as you're not obedient, it's all, it's all falling apart. God is going to do something later, something bigger. So even Moses is talking about it. Jeremiah 31, and we could go through all those verses in 31. Uh, and I got 31 through 34 written down there, but I just wrote this part. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers. That's the new covenant. And that's referred to, in, in, if you look down at point F, in Hebrews 8, we spent a lot of time going through that, where they build on that. And, and the argument in Hebrews 8 is to the Jews of that first century, 
is you are in this new covenant. This is, Christ is the new covenant. Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So that, you know, he's comparing in your flesh, you've got a stone heart, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. That means pliable, it will respond to God. And I will put my spirit within you. That's a huge right there. See that? Uh, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new spirit. And I'm going to put my spirit within you. So you're not only going, we as believers, not only have a new heart, a new born-again spirit that's alive, God has placed his spirit within us. Besides, it's not your born-again heart responding to God. Yes, it is. But it's your born-again heart with life with the power of the Spirit that dwells within you, empowering you to respond to God. So it's not just that you're born again. It's God's Spirit has come within you to help with that being born again and not just get you born again, but continue to strengthen you through that whole... I mean, you've basically got, again, you've got God living in you. You are the temples of God. We are not God, but God wants us to respond to Him on His level. But the only way we can is if... hmm. I'm going to have to put me in you. And he does, and so we're at that age. It's a great thing. And Ezekiel says it again. I will give you a new heart, a new spirit that I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone and give you a, a, a flesh and give you a, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you. And that's not even radical. That's New Testament repeats that over and over. A new spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You're now going to want to be a good member of the society of the kingdom of God. You're going to desire it. It's going to be your, your nature. Just like it's our nature to rebel and, and go after evil, it will be our nature to just do righteousness. I mean, we're looking forward to that. I mean, sometimes we, we get a hint of that now, but we also have a huge hint of wanting to do evil. There's a day coming at the glorification, the resurrection glorification, uh, where it's like, the only thing I want is, I, I don't even understand evil. It's, it's a day I think we all look forward to. A spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statute and to be careful to obey my rules. So that's saying a new heart, new spirit, and dwelling Holy Spirit, and true holiness. And again, without going down through Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22, talks about a better covenant and says, this makes Jesus the guarantor, guarantor of a better covenant. Uh, meaning this is sealed in his blood. It's like, what, what do I do? To, what do, I do? You just accept this. We're going to find out. You just remember this. And uh, Hebrews 8, a new covenant with a better promise. As it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as, it, as the covenant he mediates is better. Did I read that wrong? Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is in, enacted on better promises. The promise of this is Jesus is going to shed his blood and pay the sacrifice. The old covenant was based on the ideal of you be obedient and get the blessing well it's based on me being obedient this is based on jesus going to the cross it's like which one you want to trust your obedience or jesus going to the cross it's like yeah okay i'll go with this one because any time unless you're very religious and you haven't figured this out you're going to go well i can do it well now you're you're going to be religious and try and please god and you're going to fail because this heart okay point four 
I'm going to read the verse uh, one more time on, on the bottom of our middle of page two. And he said to them, verse 24, this is my blood of the covenant. So he's going to be sealing a new covenant that he's going to be making, which is his blood is poured out like a drink offering is poured out. His blood is going to be poured out, sealing this covenant for many. And uh, that many is a direct verse to Isaiah 53, verse 12. It'd be fun to go read through Isaiah 53. Also be fun to read through Jeremiah 31. Also read through Hebrews chapter 7 and 8. But here you know the verse from Isaiah 53, 12. The word many is mentioned two different times in this verse. And this is just like the covenant is referring to Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 26, Deuteronomy 29, 30, the covenant. The blood is referring to all the Old Testament references to blood in a covenant. Uh, poured out is going to be like a drink offering that's poured out that's, that's honoring and securing something. And the many, who are the many that he's referring to? Poured out for many. Well, just for many people. You can go with that if you want to. Just uh, many people. Or is this a buzzword, a, 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 what do you call those? a talking point going right back into the scripture and it's a it's a a a catchphrase it's a a buzzword isaiah 53 12 therefore i will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death now who's the one pouring out his soul to death he's pouring out his soul it's called blood right here he's going to pour out his blood Isaiah says he's pouring out his soul. I mean, his, his life is ebbing away. He's giving his life, which is his blood, which is his soul. He's dying. It says, but he's going to earn something by doing this. He's going to gain something, but he's going to, it says, divide a portion with many and divide the spoil with the strong. Who are the many and who are the strong? The strong are those whose hearts are transformed by this sacrifice. Because remember the cup? You're going to get your drink, you're going to pass the cup and your drink, and you're all going to have a part of the same fate. Well, Jesus is going to go off and earn this victory. And when he's got the victory, he's not just going to stand and celebrate. He's going to call people to him and begin to share and divide the victory with the many and divide the spoil with the strong. This is somehow, this ties into our eternal state, our rewards, God's plan for us. But it's going to all come through Jesus and what he earned and what we're drinking when we share the cup with him. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, the sinners. He was numbered with the transgressors and died like a sinner because he was dying for our sins. Yet he bore, he was numbered with the transgressors. Why? Because it says, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. And so He didn't die for his sin. He took our sins like a sacrifice and bore the sins of many and now intercedes for the transgressors to bring them to help inherit the inheritance, uh, share the inheritance. Uh, Point A, and this is important just so you get through this. In the Hebrew, the word many is inclusive. I got that from, uh, it's like, how do you explain it? Well, I got that from a Hebrew text. The word is inclusive, not exclusive. For example, I could say there were many people, I'd be lying, uh, there were many people at Bible study tonight, which means, oh, everybody was there? Well, no, just many, just a lot of people. So there were 
some that weren't there. Well, yeah, it's, it's exclusive. When I say many people came to Bible study, I'm not saying everybody came to Bible study. When I say many people came to Bible study, I'm also leaving quite a bit of room that some people didn't come to Bible study. So we could talk about the people that aren't in Bible study, or we talk about the many that are in Bible study. That would be exclusive. This in Hebrew, the word is inclusive, meaning when it says many, it means how many? I mean, a lot, like everybody. It's, it's an inclusive word. Are you sure? Okay. Because Calvinists would like that to be exclusive, meaning he died for, like limited atonement, he died for the many. He didn't die for those that are outside. So there's your Calvinistic verse that supports Calvinism, that Jesus didn't die for the sins, or didn't die for everyone. There's a problem with that, besides the Hebrew, is point A2, besides the fact that this is equal to the word all in English, is point two. (laughs) It is not a Calvinistic limited number such as, you know, a few chosen because even Calvin himself in his own writings, when he, and he, Calvin was not an idiot by any means. He was schooled in language. He was schooled in law. He was, he was brilliant. I mean, as a young, young, I don't agree with all of his, like his eschatology, I don't agree with his eschatology. Are you smarter than Calvin? Absolutely not. I can't, there, I can't even compete, but I don't think he was right. Do you agree with everything that uh, uh, Elon Musk says? No, yes, but he's brilliant. He's a genius. Well, I don't agree with everything he says either. You know, name somebody. Bill Gates. Okay, brilliant. I don't agree with everything he says. But Kelvin was way smarter than you. He was, but I don't agree with everything he said. How can you do that? I do it with all kinds of people. Now, am I right? Well, no, I just don't agree with them. And again, obviously, there's some things that some geniuses that say it's like that. I know you're a genius, but you're an idiot. That's not true. Okay. Nonetheless, I'm not saying Calvin's an idiot, especially here. Because even Calvin himself wrote concerning this verse in Isaiah, by the word many, and he emphasized that himself, the italics, by the word many, he means not a part of the world only, but the whole human race. So the Hebrew means Many, like everyone, Calvin, the Calvinist, says this word means the whole world. It doesn't mean a select few. So if you're a Calvinist using that verse to prove Calvinism, me and Calvin are against your opinion. (laughs) So that's me and Calvin are on the same side there, finally. Okay, and it's used two times there. Chapter 14, verse 25, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And this is a loaded verse because, uh, like he says right there, I, I got point one and point two, and I've got to wrap this up. I will not drink again. Is a, it's a death phrase. I'm not, if I told you, I'm not going to teach Bible study again. It's okay, you're either quitting or you're yeah i can't i won't be able to teach anymore after night i'm something's gonna happen okay well i'm dying i'm gone well he's not going to drink from the fruit of the vine again but then he says i will drink i will not teach bible study again but i will teach and then there's sometime in the future so it's got both the death 
and the resurrection. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until, until tomorrow? No. Until after the feast? No. Until the next feast? No. Until that day, an eschatological phrase, that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And so he's going to drink the fruit of the vine again. He's going to drink wine again. But it's not going to be until he's in the kingdom of God. Oh, the kingdom, when he goes to heaven, he's on the throne drinking wine in heaven. No, it's the fruit of the vine. It's not some spiritual abstract. It's the fruit of the vine of the earth here. I'm going to be back here drinking wine in the kingdom of God on earth. So it's death. I'm, this is the last time I'm drinking wine. But he is going to drink it again, and it's going to be in the kingdom. Uh, I point some things out there. Interesting, again, I ask this question just because I, I start to think, you know, maybe incorrectly. Uh, after the resurrection, Jesus was on the earth for 40 days. Now, he resurrected body. He doesn't need to eat or drink. But we know he does eat fish because in Luke 24, uh, he said, have you anything to eat here to eat? They gave him a piece of, of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before him, kind of to prove that he's not a ghost. I've got a physical body. So he proves he's resurrected with a physical body. He's a ghost. Hey, give me some of that fish. It's like, whoo, it's in my stomach. I, I ate fish. I'm not a ghost. So now, did he drink wine? I would say no, because he's not going to drink wine again until the kingdom. Did he drink water? Okay, I don't know. I don't know. I know he ate fish. I know he didn't drink wine. I'm not sure about water. I mean, okay, I know it's ridiculous, but it's like, so that's kind of some points there. John also, he also broiled some fish, John 21, 9 through 10. When they got out on land, they saw charcoal fire in, play, in place with fish laid out on it and bread. So he was baking bread and fish. Jesus said to them, bring some of that fish you caught and bring it over here and we'll put some of that on the fire too. So Jesus is cooking bread and fish after his resurrection, before he ascends to heaven, before he enters the kingdom. So, you know, that. and again, the marriage supper of the feast, uh, the marriage supper of the lamb, that's all those verses there. And then they sang a hymn, that's the last thing they would do, we'll pick that up next week. The last thing they do at a Passover is they have their last glass of wine, then they sing the Hillel, uh, and, and then the, the meal is over. And so it's going to be over before midnight, so we're going to assume it's fairly late. Then they're going to go out to the Garden of Gethsemane. They're going to go all the way back to Bethany. They're going to go out to the Garden of Gethsemane, and we'll talk about that. That's where Jesus is going to be praying. A lot of things happen. Uh, i got to quit, and we'll pick that up next week. I appreciate you being here. Let's pray, and we'll be done. Father, we do thank you for the chance to look into your word. We thank you for this new covenant. We thank you for giving us hope that we will, again, be secure in our faith, that we will stand again in our bodies in the resurrection, that we will be able to be part of the kingdom. We ask that now today that we may honor your lordship, that we would drink from the cup that you provided for us, but also that we would be obedient and be good citizens even today, even in the conditions that we find ourselves in, still with a sin nature, still in a fallen world, but filled with your spirit, with a new heart, a new spirit living within us, and, and, the, and the desire to follow you. Again, Father, I ask that you continue to lead and guide each one of us and help us fulfill your plan for our lives at this point in history. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for being here.